0: Welcome to Ballado, The StorySave Podcast. I'm Erin Bobien. Today's episode, Jim St. Clair in Conversation: Tales and Trails Through Cape Breton. This episode is an edited version of our StorySave listening party on Jim St. Clair’s 2008 album, Stories of Cape Breton. As Storytellers of Canada's programming coordinator, I was thrilled to celebrate StorySave's 20th anniversary through a series of special listening parties. These events were a way to revisit and re examine past StorySave albums in a book club like setting. Our group came together over Zoom to discuss Jim's album, guided by our host, Cindy Campbellstone. If you aren't familiar with Jim's album, you can find links to purchase and listen in our show notes. Along with Cindy, you'll hear the voices of Anne Fleming, Clara Dugas, Eleanor Benjamin, Mariella Bertelli, Melanie Ray, Norman Walker, Patricia Dixon, Selena Eisenberg, Shirley Godfrey, and Stella Sloan. One voice you will not hear but who is mentioned throughout the episode is Linda Wynnum. Linda was a founding member of the Halifax Storytelling Circle and a driving force behind Jim's Story Save album. Sadly, she passed away just a few months before our listening party. In Stories of Cape Breton, Jim St. Clair tells tales of ghosts and great happenings, of courage, adventure, and everyday deeds. Each has its origin in a place which can still be visited each involves people whose descendants walk the hills of Cape Breton to this day. To start us off, here is Cindy with a little bit more about Jim and the origins of his StorySave album.
1: Good to see everybody's faces. And uh, I'm Cindy Campbell-Stone and I'm based in uh, Coal Harbour, Nova Scotia. And I'm so pleased to be able to host uh, the Jim Clair uh, listening party tonight. So I just wanted to, as we, before we really get into some discussion, just give you just a little idea who Jim is. Um, he, he was born in Lynn, Massachusetts in the US, but his family was from the Mole River area in Mabu. Jim and his family used to take many trips up to Cape Breton and that was when Jim's aunts would tell him stories of the people of the community of the houses or whatever, and they would make Jim repeat back to them the stories so that's kind of how he first started to get interested in in local history and community. But he lived as I said in in Mull River on the McFarland Farm. now it was a family firm his maternal grandmother was Susan McFarland of Mull River and both sides of the family were Scottish in origin which is important to remember because Jim certainly tells from the Scottish or the Scots Gaelic storytelling tradition. Jim was the last descendant of several immigrant families from the island of Mull in Scotland to reside in Mull River. He graduated Harvard College he taught many schools and universities He had a great love of history and culture and stories. It led him to become a community historian in later years, and in later years he moved back to Cape Breton permanently. He was on the radio, newspaper articles, he wrote in columns, and he authored four books, two of which were about historical houses, and one of them is one of my favorites, though. Uh, It's called Nancy's Wedding Feast and Other Tasty Tales. And it has recipes, uh, really cool recipes in here, but Jim also adds stories to them as well. Linda Winnem, who some of you know, she was a storyteller, um, Storytellers of Canada, and the Storyteller Circle of Halifax. She was our founder, actually. She said to me, I'm thinking of recording, you know, Jim Sinclair St. for Story Save. That was a great idea. And she wanted me to go to Cape Breton because. She had contacted Jim and he agreed, but she hadn't heard from him in months, but I couldn't go. So she went to Cape Breton by herself, looking for Jim. She went to Mabu, she knocked on his door, the McFarland Farm, no Jim. So she went down the road and she asked, it was the corner store of the gas station, if they had seen Jim Sinclair. And they said, yeah, we saw him this morning. He was in his green Ford pickup truck or something like that. It was a distinctive truck. Um, Why don't you go look for the truck? You'll find Jim. So here Linda went up and down the community. She went this road and that road and all around. No Jim. So she came all the way back to Halifax, which which is a four-hour drive. A couple days later, she heard from Jim and he said, you've been looking for me? (laughs) And it turns out he had gone to the big city of Sydney uh, to do an interview or something or uh, for CBC or something like that. So eventually she got him recorded and she... um, uh, was quite pleased, and I got a, a picture here of Jim recording in the studio with his eyes closed. They're relaxed, but this is, he was concentrating on his stories, that's for sure. <laughs> she finally did it. She finally tracked him down, and she got him recorded, and this is how we can listen to his stories today.
0: Many of our speakers came from or spent time in Nova Scotia. They were curious about Jim's storytelling style and where he fit in the Scots Gaelic storytelling tradition. One theme throughout our conversation was how much Jim's stories were tied to locations throughout Cape Breton, and our group brought their own memories of visiting these places. One of
2: the things that I like about Jim's stories, and I always have, I've been a I've been a huge fan of Jim ever since I lived in Inverness County. Mind you, a bit north of him. I was in Chettacamp for eight years. Um, but when he talks, maybe because I lived there for eight years, I can actually see where he's talking. I, my mind goes to a map of Inverness County and I can follow the trails um, in my mind. He He has, his stories have a way of making them, despite the fact that they have universal themes, they are so particular to Kate Bratton. And I think that's one of the charms of Jim St. Clair, that anyone who heard him speak and tell stories, really and truly most of them couldn't have taken place anywhere else and it was it it was great I was sitting here this afternoon listening to a few and I'm thinking yeah okay I know where that is yeah okay I know where that is and it just um it, it makes it so special.
3: I never met Jim I had heard of him years ago when I was listening to uh this whole thing uh, entirely, and I've actually listened to some of it twice in the last few days. Um, it of course struck me that that really he uh, is more than a storyteller in as far as he uh, seems to have a deliberate purpose that he's trying to preserve um, the culture of the area. And um, I didn't, I didn't, get the sense that, that he made up any stories, that he was really just recounting uh, the folk folklore of the area that he was concerned with, Cape Breton Island. Um, I guess one of the things I'm wondering is, that he, um, was he extraordinarily uh, common in this kind of activity? Are there many people in that part of the world that deliberately set out to create an oral history? Or is he uncommon or is he the last of a dying breed? Uh, how do you put him in context of all this? Again, I'm I'm from the prairies, so I don't know very little about um, Cape Breton or Nova Scotia.
1: Jim is part of the, uh, of the oral storytelling tradition. It's a Scots Gaelic tradition. They focused a lot on tradition bearers and the lineage of stories being very important which is why he often tells where he got the story from, where they heard it from, et cetera. That was a very important part of Scots Gaelic storytelling is to include as many people as you could in the lineage of the story. So there are still storytellers that do that in Cape Breton, but like I think anywhere in the world today, some of that tradition is, is starting to die out But uh, certainly there's other cultures. I'm thinking of the Mi'kmaq culture as well that do, um, say, give respect to the elders and say where their stories are coming from and things like that. But it certainly is a particular style of storytelling, I guess, you could say, that Jim has in that it's a Scots Gaelic style.
0: A few tales that caught our group's attention were The Woman at the Well A Pentecostal Experience, and Thomas Greaves. These stories touched on Jim's striking ability to jump between humorous family stories and stories that touch on strange supernatural phenomena.
1: From Jim's stories, do you get a sense of history, community, family?
2: Simple answer to that is yes. In what way? Well... To history, because he's telling stories of events that happened, you know, many years ago. Place, I think those of you in our Halifax circle, you know that I've been very enthralled with the Halifax explosion for many, many years because of family connections. And this was, this was like oh my God, I've got to to take that and and transcribe it and add it to my library of explosion stories, you know, because my stories are all based right around Halifax, of course. But to get a story that has the connection to the explosion but actually takes place in uh, the rest of the province, like that, that just adds so much. And any of the stories that I listened to doing my good homework there, Cindy, they're very family oriented. And I love that in a story and I try to emulate that. It's just the fact that when I listened to him again, I thought, oh, I love what you do, because that's what I always strive to do. Not always successfully, but definitely strive. So history, uh, geography, family. Absolutely, that's what his stories were all about.
1: Some of my favorite stories have a good sense of humor, probably because I was brought up with that, a similar sense of humor, a uh, sense of wit, um, sarcasm, that kind of thing. I, uh, my family is from Prince Edward Island, rural Prince Edward Island, so I certainly can relate to a lot of Jim's stories, humorous stories. What one did
4: you find the funniest, you guys? I like the story of the the um the girl going to Boston and not getting pregnant. <laughs>
3: yeah. I like the first Mabu Bank.
4: Yeah, that would be a the, honestly, that would be a second for me. And I uh, I mean, the on, they, they they remind me of stories that my dad would tell me about people he knew, and it it's something that you can't quite like. I could never quite recreate the story, but I remember just being amused, and I could listen to them endlessly. Um, you know, it's. At, at, you know, just jumping back to your previous, you know, question, it, it's specific to this time and place and you probably laugh harder if you actually knew the people, but it's also universal. We all know people like this who, you know, get mildly confused in an amusing way, but it's universally funny.
1: And the woman waiting at the train station thinking she was already on the train. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's stories about women and family that really touched me. Um, Did anybody else find that?
5: All these women are particularly strong women, by necessity, but by nature as well, I think. I I was really caught by the Rebecca Smith story, I must say. And who was the woman who walked on the beach uh, with the, the white dress and the black cloak? I mean, she still walks on the beach, but she ahead and did all this other stuff too
6: mariella yeah i really liked uh uh the woman at the well because I, I it felt like it makes the connection to the folk uh the folk world for me in that story it becomes uh almost like a fairy tale you know it's got this element of the unknown and uh uh the the, the space becomes uh you know, the kind of space that it's it, it, where the fairies live. The water is magical water. <laughs> Everything about it becomes um, magical. And I really, really like I think that's, that was my favorite one for some reason. I found it lyrical. There was something about it that really caught, caught me.
1: I think for me too, the, the story of uh, the Halifax explosion and how family and neighbors came together. There's a couple of uh, stories that are are definitely different, and one is a Pentecostal experience.
7: As a child, I spent my summers on my aunt's farm, and she was married to a Gaelic-speaking blacksmith, okay? And every summer, we went to a gathering that overlooked, on a field that overlooked the Seal Island Bridge. And it was one of these Presbyterian gatherings. When I started listening to the Pentecostal story, fortunately, it was only one day. One, you know, We went in the morning, we came home at, before supper. Fortunately, it was not six days long. I could just imagine the people gathering. There was an awful lot of us gathered in that hay field. And so I could really relate to that kind of story. But there was like a few miracles thrown in there, like the manna and uh, the speaking in tongues. Uh, It it definitely was an interesting take on that whole religious experience that people would have when they all came together, especially when a beloved preacher came back. (laughs) That was a fun one.
3: Well, I had real questions about the sanitation of the event. How did they (laughs) deal with that?
7: Yeah, it was
1: thousands of people that had gathered, or hundreds of people that had gathered. It was like a rock concert. Okay, um, and there, there's another story. I, who had a chance to read Thomas Greaves, to listen to Thomas Greaves? I thought that was a different story as
6: well. Anybody else uh, have- well, I mean, it's a typical story about the devil in a way, you know, but uh, this black dog with red eyes, it's a different uh, configuration of the usual devil from, say, from the Quebec tradition that we are so familiar with. I found it very, very, very interesting, very different as a devil story, you know.
5: It really surprised me. I mm-hmm. didn't know that's how he got his horse and his buggy. <laughs> I'm sorry, Eleanor, what do you mean by that? I didn't realize at the end of the story when he confesses that he sold his soul to the devil so he could go courting Isabel in style. He shows up mysteriously with a horse and nice clothes. So I thought this is interesting. Maybe he inherited some money we don't know about. But then we get this little surprise at the end, which is quite special.
4: I had a similar reaction to Mariella where it was... It was kind of two kinds of stories at once where you have the supernatural and and like she said you know we have a lot of the the french canadian ones um but it was a very specific person it wasn't just you know t-genre or whatever it was william greaves a member of the community and you could you know people knew him and there was a very specific story and yet it had this little just a hint of a of a supernatural that was completely left out it was just he shows up mysteriously and he's he's haunted by the dog but maybe um you know others aren't and he manages to get redeemed which i thought was an interesting you know conclusion that he was able he was able to repent it also made me think of the devil and daniel webster which the movie of which i watched last year and if you haven't seen it you know definitely go see it where just you know the simple guy who's really frustrated with his life makes a deal with the devil and then regrets it immediately like he's rich 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 but you know time comes to pay and then he has to he has to make up for it
1: and that story we're slowly running out of time but i think we. We've got uh, that that story in particular. I love the setup for it um, with the family. Does anybody recall having uh, a situation like that with a with a parent, with an uncle, or anything like that? Did that remind them of anything?
7: Did in my family, but I'm from a big family, so sometimes things happen. <laughs> and the kids sometimes don't come home for dinner. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what I wanted to say. It's like there's stories of ordinary
6: people but um and and that end up doing some of them doing extraordinary things, right? Like selling your soul to the devil, you know. Uh, they start out with like yeah, it's just just your like your brother or your you know, your uncle or your your cousin, you know, and then which is really what life is about in many ways, isn't it? You know.
0: <laughs> Toward the end of our event, our group shared their memories of meeting Jim and seeing him perform.
7: One of the Iowa Story uh, Festivals, we actually, he was the theme. He was talking about Jim St. Clair and his uh, influence in storytelling on the island. And we had a snowstorm and he couldn't get up down. <laughs> he couldn't get to Sydney. There was no way to get out of his driveway and actually safely get to Sydney, so I miss seeing him. But at the time, people were sharing stories he told about it, so I got a, a really nice feel for Jim's, you know, influence at that time. And then there, I had had a couple of visits to Iona to the Heritage uh, Center there, hoping that I'd cross paths with them because I'm trying to parse out some of my family history, and it is Scottish migration, but it's much later than what he is documenting there at, um, in Iona, Um, and he, I didn't realize, he didn't spend much time there either, (laughs) so I, I missed meeting him that way, and then um, the week that he died, I was trying to track him down again because I had an inquiry from somebody who was painting houses in Sydney and they wanted to pick his brain about the heritage of a building they were painting and I was trying to track him down and it turned out he died the day before I could reach him. I never did get to meet him, but I really appreciated his work. I see Melanie just joined us.
1: Hi, Melanie. Is there anything you'd like to to say about Jim's stories or did you have a favorite?
8: I listened to all of them, except I heard him live years ago when maybe the first time we had the conference in Halifax. And I just fell in love with his storytelling. It was great on the CDs. I do have a very strong memory of being enchanted by his storytelling live. So I I actually think that that might be what I'll remember best. The story that I liked best was the one about the um, outdoor gathering for Pentecost. That yeah. was a really interesting story and yeah. and kept unfolding this little incident and then this one. And I was with him the whole way. It was like being taken for a, a very gentle country walk through a place I'd never been before.
1: Well, we're just about ready. I think uh, to wrap things up, I just want to say that back when I had agreed to to do these sessions and when Erin contacted me, um, they sent a list of suggestions of who we would want to uh, whom we might be interested in host hosting. Um, like we had a choice of people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I chose Jim St. Clair because I was familiar with the the Cape Breton uh, way of storytelling, but also because I, because Linda Winham was involved in collecting the stories and working with StorySave to get Jim recorded. So I knew a little bit of the background of that. But I was also hoping back then that he would also help me host this. And unfortunately, um, (coughs) passed away suddenly in uh, May, just before our conference um, in BC. So, uh, but I have to say that um, just, you know, talking about Jim's stories and has really brought back a lot of memories for me. And I really feel like Linda Wynnum's spirit was here, along with Jim's as well. And I know both of them will be so pleased that uh, you know we're continuing to talk about Jim's stories. And please, you know, go forth and tell Jim's stories because he really, really did want that as well. So, like to thank everybody for for coming, and it was nice nice to hear you know your comments and opinions and and stuff like that as well. So, Aaron, did you have
7: anything? more to add to this yeah I will although Clara was uh was waving her hand. did you want to say something Clara yeah I just wanted to say Cindy uh Linda and Jim Sinclair would be very proud of you you did a phenomenal job thank you very much
0: Jim Sinclair passed away in May 2021 at age 90. However, his stories live on through this album. You can find Stories of Cape Breton on Storytellers of Canada, Conteurs du Canada website in the StorySave section. For more on Jim's life and work, check out his interview with Heritage Cape Breton on their YouTube channel. Links to these sources are in our show notes. Since 2002, StorySave has been recording and sharing the work of Canada's master storytellers. The program is supported by the Canada Council for the Arts and the Ontario Arts Council. This episode was produced by Erin Bobian, Cindy Campbellstone, and Heather Whaley, with editorial support from the StorySave Committee, Murray McGregor, Sue Charters, and Selena Eisenberg. This episode was edited by Tamara Filjevich. I'm Erin Bobian. Thanks for listening.